Are you interested in healing competition between women, in reversing the thousands of years of patriarchal domination and helping sisters to actually support each other, to grow community, to build a village, and to create a new myth for our new world? If you're into all that, you'll love this interview with Shina Connors from Global Sisterhood, who's here to tell us how she got started and her passion and her purpose, and how she helps to lead other women towards creating a new world for sisters. Join us. Join us on this beautiful journey. So let show. show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we pass that talking stick and we let each person tell their story of their own awakening process of coming into that inner sense of who they are and what their truth is, and then learning to speak it out loud and share it with others, not as a means of convincing anybody else of their point of view, but simply as the means of sharing some points along the journey that are pretty common for all of us. You know, we all We all get this invitation to step into a new space because it gets too painful to stay in the old space. And then we each get invited to take this hero's journey. And along the way of that journey, we get invited to really confront our fear of rejection, abandonment, shunning, uh, losing people, losing our families, losing our money. And then we eventually come around to the space where it's like, oh, I found myself through all that loss. Cool. I'm unconditioned. I know who I am. I know my truth and I can stand on solid ground and speak it as a sovereign being. I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird. I love these conversations because they echo my own journey. I just love talking with people who have found themselves. It's always really evident to me when someone's made that journey because there's just like, a tapped inness or a plugged inness that that person has that when I have a conversation with them, we just sort of innately get it because we're both tapped into the same source and we're just getting information from the same place. And so it's nice. It's nice to have that sense of, okay, cool. Like there is some unity after all. And it's not from outside conformity. It's not from being forced to, you know, change yourself to fit in with what other people think is best. Operative word there, think. And, you know, I, I love like, uh, guiding people on this journey. I know it's intrepid. I know it's scary to have arguments and to lose friendships and, and to be alone and, and stand on your own. And that can be terrifying. And so that's why I like to invite people to do that in community. If you're interested in that kind of thing, hit me up at carriehummingbird.com for a discovery call. carriehummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com. Now here today on the show, I'm really excited to have this conversation with a sister, And funny enough, she is the COO at Global Sisterhood. How awesome is that? Welcome, Shaina Connors. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Carrie. It's such a fortunate timing to be connected to you. It truly is. And I'm really excited. I want to tell them a little bit about you because you're a badass and uh, you're just amazing. So she is a systems master. Her brain is full vision, full picture for creating a better future for both herself and humanity. She is a yogini of 15 years, a meditator, and a passionate do-gooder. She spent many years studying the business world, working in high finance and venture capital. And after studying those mass systems and working among brilliant leaders that were failing to remember the earth, 
longevity, and long-term systems. She turned to remembering her true nature and founded Global Sisterhood. And she and Lauren Walsh have been leading this together side by side since 2018. And they'll be continuing to grow the sisterhood, making important topics like, hey, free the voice and redefining beauty, a household conversation, not a taboo conversation. So welcome so much to the show. I am so curious, and I know everybody else is too, to hear how did you make that initial first decision to go against, you know, sort of everything everybody was telling you you were supposed to do and go this other way that probably people were like, what are you doing? You have a good thing going. Why are you turning your back on this or the other thing? Why are you doing this crazy thing we don't understand? Tell us that story. (laughs) Yeah, it's fascinating because it's, it's not one thing, right? Like there were so many things in my life that led to that very moment of being like, wow, there's dissolution here. Like I am in this place where there's so many people that want to be here. You know, the smartest people from Harvard and Stanford and the best schools in the world want to be in venture capital. And yet I felt empty inside because there were just things that I was able to see in that world that just weren't aligning with my values. And to go deeper into that, you know, I had started meditating because I was so stressed at work which ultimately led to this illumination. And um, what the illumination really was, was I had worked so hard my whole life to get all of these things. And I now had them and realized I was completely ignoring the feminine aspect. Everything that I had done up until that point had been super masculine, doing action, you know, succeeding and working up this hypothetical ladder of, emptiness, really, because I got to this point and I looked around and I was like, wow, there's no one here that I want to be like, because everyone's so stressed and killing themselves for this work. And is it really doing good for our planet? Is it really doing good for the most amount of people? Is it really fulfilling the person who's doing it? No. And I guess one of the biggest things that kind of led me on this path was that only 2% of women were getting venture capital money. And that was shocking because everyone talks about like, oh yeah, women are finding more quality and these things are happening. And I was like, that's not true. That's not true at all. If you're only passing the torch to 2% of women to build the things that need to be built in this current ecosystem, like that is not a quality. And then when you talk about women of color, people of color, it's like such a small number. And yeah, if that's what our you know, most innovative thinkers and people are investing in, like that's not a place that makes a lot of sense to me. And so through the healing of my feminine, which I started to do when I was there, I realized that I needed to dedicate myself entirely to something that that helped empower women to do the thing that they were inspired to do and to take the risk they needed to take and to use the voice that they have inside of themselves that may have been suppressed for thousands of years because we need them now more than ever. And no coincidences, but a lot of coincidences. And I ended up meeting Lauren Walsh, who had been running this women's organization. And she desperately needed help, of course, from someone who had some kind of knowledge around the business world because Global Sisterhood up until that point had been entirely taken advantage of. And she herself had been taken advantage of. And, you know, we met in September three years ago and there was like this instant recognition of each other and 
a partnership that was just full on. And she invited me to work with her. I left my job in San Francisco and moved to Austin. And since then, we have gone on an incredible journey of everything, everything. So. Yeah, you caught my eye. I mean, I, I don't even remember how I heard about you, but you caught my eye and I was like, this is in my backyard, people. Like, this is in Austin. I was like, you're kidding. These people are in Austin doing this? I didn't even know about it. And, you know, I had other female empowerment going on here. I studied with Heather Ashamara, and so I was working on that, you know, that Toltec pathway. So mm-hmm. I was so delighted. I was like, this is awesome. And then to see you know, and, and this is because I'm, you know, I'm a 52 year old mom of like, you know, a 21 year old and an 18 year old. And to see people much younger than me doing this work already and not waiting till they will, you know, it took me to 40 to wake up. Like that was a long time to wake up, you know, and I'm so glad to see younger people waking up sooner and dedicating themselves with passion to things like what you're doing. So thank you for doing that. I know that healing community it's like women in community can be very challenging, right? Like to bring women into community together and to build a village. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Because I just know from my own experience um, with Heather Ash Morrow's community, there's so much competition between women. Like there's, you know, it's, it's inherent, it's built in, and it's one of the things we have to overcome in order to support each other. Can you talk more about your perspective on that? Yeah. And I actually think that's how you found me because I wrote a letter to the Global Sisterhood around comparison and competition. And I was like, you know what? I run this organization. We stand for not doing this. And this is something that I still do and am working on like fully exiting. And so it's real. And the way that the Global Sisterhood works and the way that we try to unify women is through a collective vision, through building a vision that's greater than all of us. It's greater than our own individual egos. And it's really a way of how do we do this for all of us? How do we build something that's beautiful for all of us? And we all have a unique piece to bring to this. And there's no more competition. There's no more comparison because it's not about that anymore. We can't do that to each other anymore. And, you know, part of the history of that is the witch wounds that we carry, this throwing each other under the bus because we don't know, we want to save ourselves. And that's not something we have to do anymore. And we don't need to compete and compare one another for a man, you know, that was like a source of safety in the past. And we had to compete because it was, you know, a matter of safety. And we're in this new age where we're still carrying these, you know, intergenerational wounds of desiring safety, needing to create a sense of wealth, needing to, you know, have sovereignty in the world. And, you know, there's been history of wanting to throw each other under the bus And we just can't do that anymore. It's one of these things that I see in my field a lot. And really the work is how can we do this together? You know, there's a woman who's building a women's circle platform. And all I see is like, hey, let's leverage your technology. We can leverage our ways of building community and leadership and we can do this together. And so those are the conversations I'm having today. I literally had a conversation earlier today with another woman of, I don't care who gets the credit, but let's just build something that matters and that helps a lot of people. And so it's kind of letting go of these old ways of being while honoring this newer vision of what's possible. 
Yeah, I've been I've been experiencing that as well. I I've been doing my podcast for five years now, and always the message has been to interview other people that are doing amazing work, including women and you know some men as well. But I I tend to interview a lot of women, and you know it was like well some of these people do what I do or something really really similar, right? And so I had to confront these ideas within myself, and I was I finally came to this place actually very recently, like another layer deeper of it. It was like. I am here for the global awakening and whatever teacher you need to hear to, to wake up, I am bringing them to your door. If it's me, awesome. If it's uh, Shana, awesome. If it's another person, awesome. I don't care who it is. If I can introduce you to it, that's my service and I'm grateful for it. So, uh, you know, it's like the biggest picture possible. I am here for the awakening, period. I want all humans to awaken. I want them to feel what I've been feeling and what you've been feeling, right? Like to be lit up on the inside, like a lighthouse, like that feels so good. That's the juice. And like, so what? Who cares if I'm the one to open the door for you or not? I Sometimes, in fact, Shana, I'm the one that pisses them off and they run away from me because they're like, that Carrie Hummingbird, she's such a bitch. And then they run away from me because I said something that triggered them. And they go straight into the arms of some beautiful soul who's like, they're there. Let me help open the door for you. I do a great service <laughs> by pissing people totally. off. <laughs> yeah, I think I trigger people a lot too. And I actually, that's the medicine. And it doesn't matter because we all have our own medicine and people are going to come to you if you're the one that resonates with them. And lovely. That's why we train women all over the world because it's like, listen, <laughs> there's 7 billion of us or 8 billion of us. I don't even know at this point. Like we need a lot of people doing the work. There's no competition at that scale. Yeah, I mean, there's that many people waking up. And the global anxiety is proof of that, right? It's like people are so afraid in general, just people's bodies, right? Like picking up on the anxiety in the space. And if you're disconnected from the earth, you, you're going to feel anxious. That's just like flat out. You're going to feel anxious if you're in your head and not in your body. And, and from that space, we're, you know, we're really activating the reptilian brain, right? We're activating the reptilian brain and the limbic brain, the emotional brain, and we're not getting through to the frontal cortex where the true decisions, the healthy decisions, the brilliance, you know, of the heart can be expressed through that frontal cortex. And so whatever it takes to get people there, you know, we need to do, but along the way, if you notice that you're, you know, you're angry and lashing out, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I've been doing that. I've been pissed off. I've been throwing my sister under the bus. I've been so angry. I've been, you know, then just realize it's just because your nervous system's completely, you know, imbalanced. And when you get balanced again, you can, you can love your sister and support her, you know, right? Shana, is that kind of like some of the things you guys yeah. teach too? Yes, totally. And what's interesting is obviously the word sister has many layers. You could have a physical sister, you could have close friends that are sisters. And then, you know, you and I just meeting, but we're sisters and all of us really are sisters. And something I'm just called to in my life is helping us remember that we're a global family. Like our home is the earth and we all live together here. And <laughs> it's fascinating how we kind of forget that, but it's true. And, you know, the best way to start looking at the comparison and competition once you've overcome the initial layers of, you know, thinking you don't do it is with the relationships closest to you. And like with my own blood sister, with my closest friends and noticing like when I feel some sort of lack when it comes to them. And so now my work is they are an expression of me. How can I celebrate that this is here on the planet coming through them? How can I let go of this notion that it has to come through me, which is like this selfish wanting to like hold the thing that happened, but really honor that it happened through someone 
that I get to witness. And how beautiful is that? And so it was like a total reframe of, wow, like I'm honoring this person because they are me. There is this term um, the Huni Queen people, the indigenous Huni Queen people use that I love. It's called Chai, T-X-A-I. And it's a way of referring to a brother or sister. So Chai Carrie, you know, and Chai means part you, part me. And so it's really of using the other's reflection of yourself. And so this idea that, you know, these things are coming through us too, but they show up outside of us. And it's a beautiful way to see that reflection. It's so true. I mean, we talk about mirrors, like people are mirrors for us. People are mirroring to us our shadows, our dark shadows and our light shadows. The dark shadows being things we disown about ourselves and don't like. So we project it out to the other person and we judge, blame, shame and go, that person, da, 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 da. But then it's like, oh, that the the real health is when you go, oh, that me too. You're showing me. So I'm showing myself what whatever I'm judging out there is actually the thing in me that I don't want to own. I don't like that about myself, right? So I have to, so the path of healing is to see that, see yourself doing that and then own it, right? So like being jealous of someone else. Oh, why am I being jealous? Because I see something in her that I want to have, but I already have it. So if I have it, it's in me. It's and it's okay. She has it too. We're not competing for anything. It's not scarcity. It's like it's like abundance, right? We're moving into abundancia. You know, like we saw the abundancia of the garden. You know, like like daisies don't argue with tulips. They're like, go for it, tulip. You're a beautiful sister, tulip. Like you got it going on. You know, and the butterflies visit the tulips and the daisies. They visit all of them and they get nourishment, right? So it's like is that place. But if we're not willing to look at ourselves, right, and own it, really take responsibility for it, then we actually cannot build a healthy village. Talk more about why that is. Thank you for bringing that up. This is something we say in women's circles. One of our like tenants of the women's circle is when you judge someone, look inside of yourself, because really it's coming from a place inside of yourself. So in building a village, We all have unique gifts. We all have unique tools to bring to the table, truly. And so we need to remember that we have a unique medicine to bring. So that's empowering. But it also allows us to fill into that unique space without comparison and competition. And it allows us to be able to hear one another better. We all come from different walks of life. We all have had different experiences. We all have different values based on those experiences. None of them are right or wrong. And we were talking about this before the interview, you know, the sense of polarity. We want to make other people wrong or right based on if they agree with us. But that's not the way that the world works. We all come from different experiences and we end up becoming a rich tapestry together of collective experiences. And so I was, I was mentioning to you about this guy, Daniel Schmottenberger, who's a beautiful thinker. And he has this talk that he does on sense-making and how, because of our different experiences and backgrounds, we have different values. And today, when we're coming to the table, we're arguing these, these different perspectives, but we're not hearing one another because we're not listening to what each other's values are. But when we can sit around a table and say, we want to have an outcome that helps the most amount of people, that fulfills our values collectively, 
what kind of decisions can we walk away with? And ultimately, there are a lot better decisions that we can make now with arguing and not listening to one another and doing all these kinds of things. So really, in this building of a village, it requires us to let go of a lot of the programming that we have to be right, that other people, you know, are saying something wrong, that they believe something wrong, because they just believe what life has shown them. And a lot of us who are awakening also know that you can't hold on to anything too tightly. You know, a lot of the things you used to believe, you no longer believe, and you're shifting and transforming. I mean, you have butterflies behind you, you know this. We're always in this state of metamorphosis of rediscovering what's new and true for us. And so how can we really embrace that, not just within ourselves, but also the people that are shifting and transforming around us? I love that you're saying that because it isn't fixed. What you're talking about is it's not fixed anymore. So we're we're moving out of entrenchment in a position and then holding on to that position, no matter what other evidence comes up or what other perspectives open your heart, you just like hold on to that position because that that's my identity. So I'm not letting that go into the butterfly into, oh, I'm going to evolve by what I hear about others. This is why the indigenous people always use talking stick circles because in the talking stick circle, and this is coming from a past life memory. So, you know, just I've experienced this firsthand in my other lifetime, the one previous to this one, where the talking stick circle gives every single member of the tribe a chance to listen to what each person actually feels and thinks from their greatest heart. And to be witnessed in that is a gift. And so when you actually listen to someone else, you give them a gift and you also receive a gift. And so this culture has too many thinking and too many talking. We're not listening to ourselves. We're not listening to the metote. The Toltec call it the metote. We're not listening to the metote inside our brains. Those are all the council of elders inside of our very brains, our ancestors arguing, whatever, saying things. We have to listen to all of it. And then we can have the metote discussion on the outside. So this is where the talking stick slows it all down. And if it's really working well, the spaciousness between the talking circles actually give you so much insight that you might change yourself. You actually might shift your perspective because of what you hear someone else share. And that I feel is truly building consensus through diplomacy and through listening rather than building some false kind of unity through force. What are your perspectives on that? I mean, coercion has been what's been used in our political systems for a long time. And it's not just coercion with words and actions. It's also with money and other tools that, you know, force people to think a certain way or do certain things. And it's difficult to get away from because, again, there's a sense of safety that comes from being liked, you know, having money you know, having resource and these different kinds of things and coercion works, you know, it's worked and we need to think of a new way. And that's why it really requires a lot of us who believe there's a possibility of doing things a different way to start creating so we can show positive examples of what's possible. You know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And a lot of us that are having these visions of a different way of being need to start being it and showing through our example, a new way forward. I agree. I think what happens is that there's this binary thinking that we've been involved in. And I, and for those of you who've been listening to my show, Lindsay Lockett um, had a great episode on binary 
beyond binary, living beyond binary. This binary thinking is what we're really confronted with, this polarity, because what it, what the mind wants to do and what has been trained to do so well is to put everything into a box and set it and forget it. It's like, okay, well, you know, you're an anti-vaxxer, so I'm not going to listen to anything else you say. Or you're, you know, you're a Democrat, so I don't want to listen to anything else you say. You're a woman, so I'm going to listen to anything you say. And then all of those reasons why, I mean, that that label is actually like, like a tag for a lot of beliefs underneath it, like tons of beliefs underneath it. And so part of being coming on, you know, a person that can free their voice and redefine beauty in the global sisterhood, isn't that also about deconditioning from these ideas? Completely. And it's funny because as you were saying that, I'm like, I wrote a poem about this. If you want, I can read it. It's Yeah, share it. Yeah. I am not one thing. I am all things. A shifting tide, a gentle breeze, a warm embrace. I am not me, really. It's just a projection anyway. I'm flexible, movable, unshakable, resilient, full of life force and zest and spunk. Please forgive me for my undoings of your perceptions. I cannot bear to have you keep me in a box, for I'm not your bird in a cage. Those are your thoughts. Untie them, and like nature, you can soak me in allow me to wash you into freedom. That is so beautiful because that's what we were talking about. The title of this episode, don't put me in a box. And Mm -hmm. then see, I love how spirit works. Don't you love that place? This is the kind of thing that can happen when you're plugged in and you, and you, you're connected with mother earth is that now you can do it. What uh, Shana and I just did, you know, Uh, we didn't plan that. That just happened because we're listening. So talk more about this because I really feel like if we're living our lives from conditioned belief systems, then we're, we keep putting everything into these ancient boxes and, and trying to like dampen down the lid. And the whole movement of the wild feminine, I believe, is about getting out of the box and speaking your truth and cracking some eggs. And, you know, you might step on some toes, but oh, well, you know, in the end, you'll be forgiven. It's kind of like we have to bust loose out of this, um, this paradigm. And it's, it's not easy. It's, it's like, you know, when the butterfly wants to get out of its cocoon and it's ready to fly, it actually has to use those wings. It's not a pretty process. You know, it takes a while for the butterfly to chew its way out and to, and to get its way out and use its wings to bust out of that cocoon. And if you rescue it too soon, it, it won't actually survive. So we're in that process. I think we're each building our wings. Talk about how we need to, you know, what's your what's your way forward for all of us from where we are now to creating that new myth? Because you talked about the new myth. I believe we are dreaming the world into being as the ones who are clear and listening and quiet enough to dream a new dream. It's our responsibility to dream that dream. And it's our uh, also, as you said, our responsibility to step forward with action that demonstrates that new dream. So talk more about that. Yeah. So everything you said is super core to my being and it really in the process I'm in right now, like, yes, I run this women's organization and yes, I've overcome many things and yes, I'm empowered. And there's so much more inside of me that wants to be spoken and said and filled. There's like a much bigger version of me that I feel that I haven't fully stepped into yet. And it scares the shit out of me because if I fill that space, what's going to happen to me? There's fear. There's fear that I will be rejected and cast out. That's like deep down what I feel. 
And so what do I do? I walk directly into those fears. I walk directly into the space. I'm literally in the mountains by myself because I'm in isolation because that's what I'm most afraid of is being rejected. And so here I am by myself and feeling what it is to be by myself. And you know what? It's beautiful. So really it comes down to like first feeling what you're feeling, being within your own being and seeing who you truly are. And it sounds like simple in a way, but we are so complex. We are so many things. And to to take ourselves and to narrow ourselves down into this little description of who we are is really just, you know, putting us in a box. And we put everybody in a box. We put everybody else in a box because in a way it helps us. It helps us understand the world. It helps us understand what's going on. It helps us understand who we relate to and who we don't. But we also are doing a complete disservice to ourselves when we do that. And I always think of the example of politicians and how, you know, the news will be like 20 years ago, he said, you know, the opposite of what he's saying now. You know what? People change. If someone would go up there and be like, I'm a freaking human being and I got new evidence and now I don't believe that thing anymore. Or, you know what? My wife died and now I feel differently about the thing that, you know, I used to believe so strongly. Like that makes a lot of sense because you've probably changed your mind a zillion times because you're a human being. And we're imperfect and we do things the best that we can at the time that we do it. And we're really all just doing our best. And so this new vision, this new vision is really about you stepping into your own personal power, you stepping into your gifts, you owning what there is to be owned about your experience, which, you know, you have to take responsibility for. We have to take responsibility for nature. We have to take responsibility for each other. We have to take responsibility. We have to learn to take responsibility. I feel like as Americans, we're like, "Mm, you know we're going to do our jobs and we're just going to like stay in this little lane and, you know, it's everybody else's fault. And, you know, we want our personal freedoms and we want all these other things, but those crazy people out there, they're doing all these other things that their fault. You know what? We have to take responsibility for our reality. And if you want to change things, if you want nature to be healthier, go plant trees, go help people, go do anything. Like it doesn't have to be a big action. Go help your sister when she needs it, you know? Drop some preconceived notions about the people that you were judging before. It doesn't have to be this crazy, massive thing. Do what's in your your bandwidth to do and start doing that. And you know what? When you start doing that, it starts changing not just your life, but the people around you's lives because they're like, wow, you can actually make small changes and it makes a big difference. And so I really think this new vision is about us all taking responsibility for where we are currently and doing what we can in our zone of comfort. Um, you know, at this moment to be able to take a step forward. And you know what? It's really easy today to get sucked into these stories of doubt and fear. And, you know, that we don't, we can't do anything, that there's these powers that be that are bigger than us and stronger than us that are going to make all decisions. And, you know, we have a lot of power in numbers. And if we learn to band together and to stop comparing and competing with one another, there are endless possibilities of what is possible. And so it really just starts with you. It starts within, it starts with acknowledging all the beautiful pieces within yourself that are wanting to be acknowledged. And then slowly, but surely taking one step and, you know, and just that step leads to the next step. You know, I've often said that we're moving from upside down world to right side up world. That's what the experience felt like for me. 
it's like an upside down world. You think that somebody should never, ever change. And they should, you know, if they're a person of their word, they should, whatever they said when they were 10 years old ought to have been consistent the entire way through their life and never have changed. Because this, this whole construct is built on not changing anything, which is the problem. That's actually the problem. That's why we're stuck in so many ways. That's why we have all these problems. That's why we have entrenchments. That's why we have debates that don't go anywhere. That's why we have useless conversations on Facebook. And that's why people call each other trolls because it never, ever ends. It's like, because there's no desire to actually do the thing that's necessary. In right side up world, we know the thing that's necessary is change. So we have to take responsibility for ourselves and change and transform. And the only way to do that is to look at our ideas and explore everything, like become like this scientist and run experiments. Like, do I really believe that? Is that really true for me? I don't know. Let me go run an experiment, you know, see if you can put yourself in the other person's shoes, right? And explore for a hot minute. And, you know, those the people like me, I've been doing these podcasts now for, I've had some probably some videos on online for at least eight years now. So if you go back and you look, you're going to see I have changed like a lot, you know, from my first videos. <laughs> so that's the demonstration. I was very transparent on purpose to demonstrate it, you know, because I knew the change worked. After the first time of healing I had, I was like, this, this shit works. Okay. It's working. So I'm going to demonstrate it. So, um, but I want to get back to something you said about, um, you know, take your responsibility. Let's talk about unpacking. What does it actually mean to take responsibility? Because there's a big myth in the public right now that taking responsibility means doing what the authorities say and doing your part, right? And if you don't, you're a bad person. And if you do, you're a good person. Talk about like, what does being responsible mean to you in the new paradigm? Well, I think it really depends on what your values are. And I think you have to get really clear about what you value and what your values are as a person. Because when you start to take responsibility, you're going to come up against those choices. And, you know, right now, like there's a lot of talk around the vaccine and, you know, you're a responsible person if you do what the authorities tell you and you're not a responsible person if you do otherwise. But in my case, I'll just speak openly about this. I haven't gotten the vaccine because I have previous medical conditions and I have worry that if I were to get it, that I might have some of my medical conditions come back. And so me taking responsibility is being super conscious around whom around I wear a mask when I go out in public and I take actions to reduce harm for other people. I live in the mountains currently. I'm pretty isolated. And so there's things that I've done to set up my life. So I feel like I'm being responsible for myself. I'm not spreading harm. I had made a decision for myself personally that maybe other people don't agree with. And, you know, but I take responsibility for my, my health, but also the health of others. We have to take care of other people too. And so I do believe that, you know, we have to think of ourselves and we have to think about what we value, but then we also have to respect other people too, and can't be doing things that cause harm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, there's, and I've talked about this on other broadcasts, but you know, my husband took the vaccine. My Both of my sons took the vaccine and my mom took the vaccine. So the people I love the most all took the vaccine. And I did not because my guidance was, no, that's not for me. And so I have to follow my guidance. It's like once you're tapped into your guidance, I don't know, for me, once I'm tapped into my guidance, I have to follow it. Like there's no compromising. My guidance is saying no, then that's no period. And then I have to face whatever feelings come up for me. Like I, I faced a lot of feelings when my family was saying, we really, you know, we, 
we really want you to take this vaccine because we're worried about you. We're scared we're going to lose you. And then we're going to feel guilty if you catch it from us and then you die. Like we'll be on our souls and all this kind of conversation. And it was terrible. It was like, oh gosh, that's so painful. And I was meant to hold that line because there's bigger lessons happening. So I want to say like, sometimes we're guided to do something because there's another lesson. It's not about being wrong or right. It's about creating the conditions in which the greatest lessons can be learned in our collective humanity. And I believe those lessons are really about accepting, allowing, accepting, and embracing each other as we are, as we go through our soul's curriculum and we take that journey of learning, you know, to really love each other through the process, not just because, you know, we did something we like. It's like, can you love me even though I'm not taking this vaccine? Right. And you know, I've, I dealt with the same thing with my family. I mean, my dad emails me every day <laughs> about it and really they want to protect me ultimately, you know, they want me to be safe and healthy and all of these kinds of things. And, and I've had to listen to my own guidance and my own guidance also is now saying, if you take the vaccine, you'll be fine because ultimately like, you know, whatever you believe to be true will be affirmed. And you know, that's kind of how I'm living my life at this point, that I will be okay if I say it will be okay. And yeah, and, you know, it feels super vulnerable to talk about this, which is kind of crazy because my health decisions should be my health decisions, but because, you know, there's so much pressure and polarity that's happening right now, like this team versus that team, it, it feels like, you know, it feels uncomfortable to speak something like this, but also feels good because it's like, oh, I can air out this belief that I have that maybe is unpopular, or uncommon. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's a tricky conversation. And, and really like what I ultimately feel is that we need to do our part to take care of one another. And that's a real thing. And, you know, it's a real virus and, and, and people are getting sick and people are dying. And, you know, my personal perspective is that death is not the worst thing you know it's a process of life it's a, a process of nature and if you if you do your part we can protect people from not dying also so, also there's preventative measures but yeah so you know this is an interesting conversation because i heard from a good friend this morning actually that who has a child in high school in austin that uh, the daughter was sitting in the classroom and the teacher used her authority as teacher to say, everybody who's had a vaccine, raise your hands. And the girl didn't raise her hand because she hadn't, that's not what's happening in their household. And uh, because she didn't raise her hand, the teacher then asked her, well, why don't you have the, why don't you have the vaccine? When are you going to get the vaccine? And started like basically haranguing her in the classroom. And I've tried to share with people that... <laughs> First of all, that's against many different legal um, provisions that are designed to protect a person's HIPAA rights. And it's a misuse of authority, you know, as a teacher in a classroom. It creates a bullying situation in the classroom. Luckily, the kids are not um, going along with that because most of our kids now are fairly awake, even at that young age. They're kind of not going along with this kind of adult behavior that's very conditioned. But, you know, it's really unfortunate that people feel so strongly and so fearful about their position that they need to use their authority over kids. And the, the daughter didn't want to say who it was because she was afraid of retribution, right, from the teacher. That's sad and scary. And yeah, in this new world, 
in this new world, we really have to keep our eyes open and continue tapping into what feels good and true. And for me, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good to shame people publicly or to make someone so apparently different than the rest. And, oh God, I remember being a kid and like, that sounds horrible. Yeah. That's I mean, you already feel awkward as a teenager, but now to, to have somebody like make you the oddball, the other, right? It's othering. It's a very clear example of othering. And it's kind of like, I was feeling into it because I have very publicly disclosed that I have herpes from an early decision dating early. And so I've faced all the shame about that. And I share openly about that. And, but I can imagine that this girl felt kind of like I would have felt had I been sitting in that seat as a teenager. And the teacher says, so who in this room has herpes? Raise your hand. <laughs> you know? Like, that's pretty awful. So anyway, I'm just pointing that out for anybody who's listening, who's like, hasn't yet maybe made that realization that it's not okay to publicly call people out for anything like this. It's really kind of a private thing. And, um, you know, and that's how we make a, a village because we have to build trust, right? So I want to get back to kind of closing the circle on that. You know, this is one way that we don't create village, right? We create a very distrustful village when we, when we use these tactics to manipulate force and other people. Um, that's not the way to village. You know, the village is much more like what you're doing in your circle. So I'd love to hear your closing thoughts on, on how to bring all of this into the new, the new myth and the new village. Yeah, well, it's tricky in a way because it does require us having more acceptance. And I do believe that it starts with yourself and accepting all the different shapes and variations that we may appear, you know, throughout the day and every day and all the different ways that, you know, we have to start accepting all the different variations we come in. And, and through that process of accepting yourself, you learn to accept others and have compassion for their experiences and whatever decisions that they're making in that moment. And really to create a village, there's a need for shared values, for creating a sense of unity amongst amongst the vision we want to create. And, and to be honest, it's it's hard to imagine that if our values were clean water, clean air, food for all, you know, the resources that each person needs, like that we would turn away from that. It's hard for me to think at like on a basic level that we would deny these things from other people. And I think in part, we have to really look at greed. We have to really look at scarcity and see even in the smallest moments of in our life, like where we experience those feelings of greed and scarcity, because those are what's perpetuating, you know, divisiveness and our inability to come together. And when we realize that we have everything that we need and that this earth is bountiful and wants to give us protection and life force and and zest, then we can we can lean into her and trust that we will be taken care of just as the birds are always taken care of. They always have what they need. We too will also always have what we need. And so, yeah, my vision is that, you know, we can all collectively take responsibility for where we are and and look forward to a better future of living more in harmony with one another. That is so beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your wisdom gained from being a community leader of women, which is like 
Um, high calling, very high calling, so much work in that task to bring women together and overcome all these, you know, centuries of domestication to be at competition and div divided with each other and to bring in such a way that um, your community is just growing and growing and growing. I mean, I see it. Um, you know, it's just a really powerful experience to be in your Facebook group and to see all the comments that people share and the kind of loving support that people give each other. I think I made one one little share in there and it was so like this like cascade of love, like, thank you so much for sharing this. Uh, it was like, it was so good to be received, you know, and mm -hmm. so I really appreciated that. And um, I want to just tell everybody, you know, to go check out the website. So globalsisterhood.org globalsisterhood.org. I'll put that in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to share with people on the way out about how they can connect with you and, and engage? Yeah. So really our mission is to, to train next generation leaders and to empower women that feel the calling to hold space for other women. And I really believe that facilitation is the language most needed in our time to be able to hold a container not just for women, but for conversations with your family, with, you know, people who have polar opinions to be able to have the skill of facilitation is super needed right now. And so we, we train you on how to do that. And it starts with women's circles, but then it extends to everything. So yeah, if you want to learn more, you can go to globalsister.org. Um, we do a women's circle training called Circle Initiation, and that's really initiation into your gifts, your feminine power, and we do do some healing work. So, so yeah. Fantastic. So juicy. Well, I encourage everybody listening to go check it out. If it called to you, don't delay. Go check it out. Sign up for the newsletter. Get involved, you know, before you get onto other things in your mind. And take the moment of clarity from your heart to like say yes to it. And I also encourage you to like and share this episode out. Um, if you leave a comment for us, let us know what you thought or some questions you had or reflections. We'd love to hear from you. And, you know, we invite you to help spread this information out too. So share it with anybody you know who might be really benefiting from the conversation we had today. Maybe it's a conversation you'd like to have with someone, but you don't know how yet. And so you can share it out. You can share it with people. They may receive it or they may not, but you never know if you don't try. And so give it a shot and be brave, courageous, share it out, be, be an advocate of truth. And I want to say that I appreciate you for staying all the way to the end of these broadcasts because I know that they're long, but they're always juicy. I just find that there's so much value that comes from the full conversation. And it also is a tool, hint, for how to have those, <laughs> those difficult conversations that you want to have in your life. You have to have the capacity to hold those conversations, which means that you got to be able to stick it out through uncomfortable things and feel your feelings and breathe and hold yourself to get to the very end. And this is a kind of practice, you know, in a culture where we're sort of used to having things delivered to us in um, 60 seconds or less. So this is like 60 minutes. So, you know, like, it's good practice for holding that bigger space. So congratulations for sticking with me every week till the end of the broadcast. And I'm going to give people kisses now. Uh, do you want to help me out here? Yeah. Shana? Okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. We love you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we love you. And we'll see you next time on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now, everyone. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show... Will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. 
We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Take a sip from the drip of nectar From the source of who you are Yeah, yeah